Hi there, listeners. Welcome to the second episode of Sound Economics with Martina Björkman-Nyqvist. In this episode, we speak about her domestic initiative, Body Sweden, roughly translated, and what she's doing internationally with her research within education, more specifically increasing literacy in mathematics and language in a rural area in India. Hi, Martina. A warm welcome to our official podcast. Thank you. So we live in a world that consists of so-called bottom-up or top-down systems. Um, The common denominator across the seven continents is people and education, which is why I'm incredibly excited to have you here as a guest on Sound Economics. You're an associate professor in economics and the executive director of Mistra Center for Sustainable Markets. But forget about the titles. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm sitting here with you. I'm looking forward to talk about uh, important research that, uh, you know, that I think I'm doing uh, related to, you know, health, education in poor countries and social inclusion in Sweden. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm doing great. Sunshine outside today when I bike to work. So... Good day. Nice. And uh, we met briefly last week. You uh, mentioned that you now have an electric bike so you don't get sweaty when you arrive to work. I love my electric bike. I think it's uh, a life hack. Nice. Nice. So um, I was thinking that um, maybe you can tell us a bit about your past and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, that's a long story. And that's what I'm going to that's not what we're going to talk about mostly today, but a little bit about who I am and why I am a researcher at SSC, maybe, and Mm -hmm. why I do research on what I what I do. So I um, I studied undergraduate in Umeå University um, and uh, business administration and economics. Mm -hmm. And during my uh, master thesis, I saw that SIDA, the Swedish aid organization, had a scholarship. It's called the minor field study that you could go to a low-income country and uh, write up your thesis there on a topic that was of interest to a country uh, in a low-income country. So I decided to um, uh, go to uh, Namibia and uh, study um, forestry accounts. So how do you take into account the value of a unique forest that they had in Namibia? Mm. And when I was there, uh, I just... uh, realized that there are so much, uh, there's so many interesting questions to answer. There's so much to do. There's so much you can do to actually contribute Mm. uh, to the world outside of Europe and uh, the rich countries. Mm. Uh, And then uh, I moved on after my uh, undergraduate to apply for a PhD. Mm. Uh, And I did a PhD in economics at Stockholm University. And uh, then I met my advisor who uh, was doing research on development economics. He had been at the World Bank before uh, and he uh, had a lot of super interesting projects ongoing in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, I went as a research assistant on one of his projects to Tanzania. And uh, I just thought this is what I want to do for for the rest of my life to kind of work in these low-income countries or work with questions that are challenging or things that we don't know how to fix in these countries and try to 
uh, make a small impact uh, on these lives uh, mm. for a more equal and, and fair world. Mm. Uh, sounds big, but that's the driver. Uh, and, uh, and then I um, initially thought that I was going to work at the World Bank. Mm. That was my dream when I started my PhD. Mm. But when I was a PhD student, I realized that there's actually quite amazing stuff you can do as a researcher. Mm. And especially if you work on applied uh, work and you work with topics that are very close to what policy are doing. Uh, so I, uh, I I'm ended up uh, going to Bocconi University um, in Milan for my first five years uh, as an assistant professor, mm-hmm. uh, working on these topics there. And then I moved back to Sweden and came to Stockholm School of Economics uh, and have um, now been here for 10 years. Mm. Uh, and are still working on the same topics. Very policy-oriented, trying to impact policy with the, the research I do. Interesting. So um, I think externally, uh, the Stockholm School of Economics is mostly synonymous with business moguls and corporate giants, um, but an equally important arm is, is the economic side of things um, that we're going to touch upon in this episode. Um, but what, what, what could you simply explain economics or perhaps more specifically development economics for someone who's, uh, who doesn't have a PhD mm-hmm. like myself? Yeah, so development economics, which I work on, uh, studies, you know, everything from macroeconomics. So it studies the, the, the macro structure or the big questions uh, on growth and exchange rates and so on, and how we can increase economic growth, uh, inequality and so on in low-income countries, uh, low- and middle-income countries. And then it studies everything also related to microeconomics, uh, Mm. which is more what I do, when we actually study individuals, individuals' behaviors, households, uh, how they make their decisions uh, and how how they make their efficient decisions or not, uh, and how we can improve the kind of lives in the in the the micro setting, uh, and development economics is then economics, but uh, studying uh, you know questions related to low and and middle income countries. Very very interesting. So uh, let's uh, dive into uh, what you're doing domestically. So um, your national initiative, um, translated to Friends Sweden or Body Body Sweden. Um, it's a social integration program that runs for six months and is based on a Nobel Prize method. The aim is to improve social integration for newly arrived people coming to Sweden. This is done through matching people with people in pairs. As I understand it, it's very difficult to establish oneself in a new country without any friends who can show you the way how things work the culture and, and so forth. Um, could you t- explain about this initiative and, uh, and what you're doing here domestically? Yeah, so so let me start by saying most of my research is on development economics. So I'm studying, you know, most of my research has been done in sub-Saharan Africa and India. Since we'll a get couple, to that. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But since a couple of years back, um, I also, um, together with my uh, co-author, Abhijit Singh, who's also here at Stockholm School of Economics at the Department of Economics, studying uh, a program uh, where we focus on migrants in Sweden. Uh, and 
what we do here is that uh, you know we are trying to look at how we uh, can improve social inclusion of newly arrived migrants uh, in the Swedish society. So the background, of course, is uh, that we had this massive inflow of migrants in the recent decades in the UA in the EU in in general, but also in Sweden, and this has created lots of challenges to ensure that the migrants, but also their descendants, can fully participate in our society. And this kind of effective integration has a lot of challenges. So, you know, mm. you have linguistic, you have cultural, you have administration barriers, getting into the labor market and so on. Mm. I'm not saying that we're going to fix everything with this program that we're studying, mm. but there has been lots of money put into uh, social programs that try to promote better inclusion of migrants, but we still don't really know which programs work, what policy works, and which are best. Mm. This is where we're trying to study one program to mm. see how it works with rigorous evidence, as you uh, as you said. So we're using this Nobel Prize uh, award-winning method uh, that was, they received the prize in 2019 uh, for using what is called randomized controlled trials Mm. Uh, in studying social programs. Mm -hmm. So literally what you do is that you do like we have done in medicine uh, all the time. You have a treatment group and a control group and you uh, you can then evaluate the causal impact. So um, just to um, say something there, uh, the effect of using a, a Nobel Prize winning method mm -hmm. from what I can understand is not an easy thing to win the Nobel Prize <laughs> and you also have to, is it 20 years of proof that you need before you're even considered for the prize? Is that how it works still? So it's sort of something that you know actually works. Yeah. So this, so this was the Nobel Prize winners, we should say, are Abhijit Banerjee, Esther Duflo and Michael Kramer, who won okay. the prize for using this method in in evaluating social programs and mostly then developing in low-income countries. That's where, where they applied it. Uh, and they started in the beginning of 90s. So it's been about 20 years. I don't think there is a rule of 20 years. I think, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes the Nobel Prize, you have to be liter literally 80 years to receive it. These mm. guys were very young. Esther okay. was, you know, not even 50 when she received it. Mm. Uh, but yes, it's an established method that today mm. is used in a lot of aid organizations, in a lot of big international organizations to understand what works and what does not. Mm. And then, you know, um, in terms of evaluating kind of social programs in general. Mm. Um, and here in Sweden, there isn't a lot of uh, evidence of using this method in social programs. Mm. Uh, so this is one attempt of using it. The benefit of using this randomized control trials as it is, is of course that you actually figure out, you know, what is the causal impact of this program? Mm. And then, you know, you can think ethically, there is a control group, there are people who don't receive this program. Mm. But that's not really true, because in, in, in the case that I'm talking about, the body matching program that we look mm. at, they're, they're going to receive the program just a little bit later, after okay. the, uh, the program has been evaluated, mm. they're going to be matched as well. And it's actually, you know, randomized to, they have an oversubscription. So there are more migrants who wants to be part of this program mm. than the number of established Swedes that they can be matched to. Mm -hmm. So really they have to make a choice anyway on who will get it first. 
And the, met- the way they do it now is that they just randomized among the oversubscription pool, mm. which is, you could think, actually very fair mm. uh, because you're not picking it on characteristics of people. Mm. Um, when you work with something that you're passionate about, mm. do you, do you, can you leave work at work or do you take it home with you? What's your relationship there? So I, uh, I, I have kids. They yeah. make me have to drop uh, okay. my research mind because uh-huh. they're busy with their stuff and they yeah. need my attention. Yeah. That helps to kind of rest the brain a little bit. Mm. But it's also the fact that I, uh, I think sometimes when you know you're out in the forest running or walking with the dog or something, that the best thoughts comes up mm. after work, not when you're sitting in front of the computer. Mm. That you're like, ah, that's what we should do when yeah. things have been like you know slowly melting in your brain and then it kind of pops up so no i would say i don't leave work but i also love my job and i don't sometimes think about it as work when i think about my research projects i'm passionate about it it's part of a it is a job Mm. but it's also something i'm uh, very interested in and i love talking about as you see so you know dinner dinner conversations with family dinner conversations Mm. with friends Often we talk about these types of uh, research questions that I'm studying, and, it, and it's it's fun to engage people as well. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, field work. Yeah. Let's move on to the big stuff. Um, you recently released a paper titled "Supporting Learning in and Out of School: Experimental Evidence from India," and I thought I'm gonna read the abstract mm-hmm. to the paper here. This paper studies an education program targeting primary school children in rural India, which combines a standard in-school pedagogical intervention with an out-of-school study group program managed by parents. We rely on cross-cutting experimental design across 200 villages and find the full program to significantly increase children's test scores in mathematics and language by 9 and 11 percent in standard deviations, Mm -hmm. respectively. When the two program components are implemented in isolation, there is no impact on children's learning. The cost-effectiveness analysis highlights high returns from adopting a multidimensional approach that supports children's learning processes both in and out of school. Mm So there's a lot to dig into here. Mm -hmm. But firstly, what's a standard deviation? A standard deviation is, you know, you have the 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 normal curve. So standard deviation is uh, the normal curve divided into uh, standard deviations from the the normal mean. But I can translate that into something that is more uh, digestible. digestive. And that would be, so the impact of this program can also be uh, translated into a percentage point, which is something that is more digestive for uh, the non-economic crowd. Um, So um, we found that test scores in this joint program that both had uh, a pedagogic component in the rural in the schools in India and then also we had study groups outside of school that were led by mothers Mm. and then test scores improved by 20% in math for the children Mm -hmm. the primary school children 
and 13% in language for um, uh, the primary school children who received this program. So that's a more kind of understandable, mm. uh, uh, understandable number. So I just want to mention as well that this program is done in northern India in mm. a region called Assam mm. in primary schools. This is a joint project with uh, a big NGO uh, in India, non-government organization in India called Pratam. But it's also uh, unique, this project, in the, in the sense that it's joined with uh, a large amount, a large number of Swedish industries or businesses. So um, there's an, uh, a non-government organization here in Sweden that is called Prattan Sweden. Mm. And they, have, uh, they are working in collaboration with uh, 13 to 15 Swedish industries mm. uh, and they, uh, Swedish businesses. Um, and they are um, using, uh, they are investing in this uh, non-government organization or providing their corporate social responsibility funding through this organization. Mm. So um, this is, I would say, like a, a Swedish industry network mm. that I'm part of, mm. evaluating the program that they run in primary schools in northern mm. India. Uh, so it's, it's this kind of interesting uh, circular relationship where you have industry business, you have academia, which is me and my co-author Andrea Guariso, mm. and you have the non-government organizations, Prattam, Prattam Sweden mm. and Prattam India, working in a circular relationship. The right. industry, the business are, uh, you know, very interested in, in improving education in northern India, Swedish business. Mm. They work with this non-government organization who's an expert at running these school programs, Prattam. Mm. And me, in, uh, me and Andrea, the academics, mm. are doing the evaluations of this, mm. providing an independent evaluation on how well does this program work. If mm. it doesn't work very well, or if it does work, what can we do to improve it even further? Mm. And then we're continuously working. So this kind of cir beautiful circular mm. kind of um, relationship with industry, civil society, academics. So yeah. that's very unique in that sense. Uh, it's my first project working with, with these types. Usually I only work with civil society. Uh, yeah. when I when I do my projects. Very interesting. And uh, something that I took away from reading the paper um, was that uh, the in-school pedagogical program mm -hmm. consists of learning camps, mm -hmm. uh, which are structured around uh, teaching at the right level approach. Mm -hmm. Students are temporarily rearranged in the school based on their actual knowledge rather than on their grade and teaching is tailor, tailored to their level. Mm -hmm. It seems like that small difference makes a big difference yeah. uh, to actually look at what you actually know and teach from that level rather than, than a grade, am I? Mm. Right? Yeah, so, so going back to Nobel Prize, mm. that method is not uniquely evaluated in our study, this study mm. that we talk about, that's actually one of the first programs that Esther Duflo and Abhijit Banerjee evaluated and that they later on got the Nobel Prize for as well as we've mm -hmm. talked about before, they evaluated that teaching at the right level program mm. using a randomized control trial. So in, the, in our pro, and it's, it's, it's been proven to be a very effective, uh, uh, a very effective method, and especially in these low income countries, because what we see in these countries in primary school 
mm. is that we nearly have um we nearly have we almost have all children going to school so mm. enrollment is almost 100% mm. above 95 in most of india and most of africa mm. but when you look at the learning levels of the kids who are going to school mm. so you know you would think kids are in school they learn no mm. they don't so when we look at india for example what we see is that less than half of the children in grade 5 mm. know how to do math and reading mm. of a grade 2 mm. so that means that there's like kids in grade 5 and 6 who can't do what mm. you're supposed to be doing in grade 2 which mm. is very simple subtraction and reading a small paragraph mm. and the reason is that in most of these low income countries and especially in india you have automatic progression Mm. So independently of whether you can read a paragraph in grade two, you're mm. moving on to grade three. And then you're taught according to the grade three curriculum mm. and you have difficulties catching up. Mm. So what this program, pedagogic program, the teaching at the right level was doing is bringing kids back. Mm. You, you're sitting with grade six students or sitting with grade one students. Mm. You're sitting together in the level that you're at. Mm. And these are short camps. Mm that just burst you to improve learning and then you move back to your grade after these mm. short camps and it's been proven by these uh, nobel prize winners esther and abidit to work what we do in our uh, project is that we have this method implemented mm. by pratam which it, this is their th- this is their pedagogic program but then we add on uh, an out of school program and that's what's unique about this program about this project where we actually uh, also say that learning in school is not enough. Mm. We think you also need to improve what you do outside of school. So that's kind of ha- like how we have homework in the West. Uh, yeah, and these kids uh, also have homework, but they have really no... When they come home, the mother mm. might be illiterate, the pa- father might be illiterate, mm. there's there's lots of work that they have to mm. help out with, there's smaller siblings they have to take care of, fetching mm. water, fetching firewood, this is poor mm. areas mm. so what this program was doing was that it was creating study groups outside of school mm. m- led by some community members not teachers mm. some mother or father or whoever in the community so it was these organized study groups where kids knew at this time i have one hour when i can sit and do my homework and i know it's there and there are older kids who can help me if even if my mother is illiterate these older children can help me do my homework yeah uh, and creating this kind of out of school time for the mm. kids to actually focus on homeworks or other types of assignments uh, we thought were improve uh, important as a complement to what's happening in the schools mm. and what we also found was that when you have a program that have both the study groups and this teaching mm. at the right level in the schools both test scores in math and test scores in reading improved mm. by 20 to 13%. So yes, this combined program mm. uh, was effective in these areas in northern India. Very very interesting and and, and I just want to make things clear this is this is facts. This is yes. uh, this is not uh, something that's made up. Um I, and I just wanted to share my my personal mm. reaction mm. on on the paper because in statistics mm. which in my mind is mm. a mathematical language mm. um here at SC and I did pass the first data analytics course right there took more than one attempt <laughs> but uh, did pass it um 
we get taught that capital X is the true population. Meanwhile, lowercase x is what we use when we practice calculations and so forth, since statistics is a powerful tool for estimation. When I read your paper and I noticed that your models consist of capital letters, <laughs> meaning that we're dealing with real people, mm -hmm. I was floored. Um, so my question is, how does it feel to do something like this in reality and have a model on paper that is true in reality? Yeah, so I think, as I said in the beginning, uh, my uh, kind of my driver for the research mm. I do is that I really want to make some type of impact mm. uh, for a better world. Yeah. I, I want to try to move policy. I want mm. to learn how can we help children in low-income countries mm. to, in this case, improve their test scores. Mm. If they learn more when they're in school, they're going to have a higher possibility to move on to secondary school or even get a job after schooling. Mm. And if they get a job or if they move on to secondary schooling and get an even better job after that, their income is going to be higher potentially than their parents. And they're going to mm. be able to give their kids a better future mm. and so on. And we're going to have economic growth in the long run, higher mm. economic growth. Or uh, I work with a lot of health projects as well. So we have way too much child, children under five that die from diseases that mm. are treatable. If I'm able to push policy a little bit, mm. learn about one program that decreases child mortality or mm. one program that can make a, a, some kind of difference on child health, mm. that is, uh, you know, it's huge to me mm. uh, because it feels like I'm doing something, mm. even if it's small, but I'm doing something that tries to improve the life for people who do not have the same type of life quality as we have. Mm. So... Yes, that's like the driver makes me very happy and mm. very uh, satisfied. Interesting, interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm half Barbadian. Mm. Uh, Barbados is a, used to be a developing country. I guess it's borderline developed, developing. Mm. Uh, however, with, uh, you know, spending a lot of time in Barbados growing up mm. and so forth, I can't help it not to reflect on the biases we have mm. um, thinking what a not a, 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 a good life is, but since the standards are so radically different and you have different measurements, because at the end of the day, somehow you kind of, you know, you become your environment mm. sort of. Mm -hmm. Have you reflected anything or... Rather, what has the feedback been when you've come to a place like mm. India um, with your biases mm. of, of what a good life is? Um, and perhaps, because I'm thinking sometimes an easy, simple life, like my mother mm. who says that the, the sea is her bank, she's mm. moving to Barbados, and just want to live self-sustaining um, is, is happiness or a good life. Do you get what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I, I think that... What, you know, I, what are the tensions there? Because I sometimes feel that in developing countries, there is a resistance for people from the West, white people, mm. what, what, whatever, um, that, that want to come down and improve things mm. to maybe a different standard than what the actual standard is in the, in the country. Mm. 
I, I think so. These are very good, uh, very good thoughts, and mm. uh, you know, this is something I think most of us reflect upon. Yeah. I just want to say that I think that you know what we do today in terms of international aid assistance and so on has moved far from we think that they should live like we do. Uh, mm. That's not what we think anymore or mm. you know i i kind of never thought it but maybe that's what we what was happening in the 70s or 80s or something let's bring you know uh, the countries we have in the the schools we have in the west let's bring them there because then it's going to work no right uh, what's going on right now is that you know i don't i don't think that in terms if i just think about my own research and what i i know that other researchers that i know are doing we don't try to, uh, you know, bring what we do there. Mm. So we work with Plattan, for example, this mm. organization that I told you about, is an Indian. It's India's largest education uh, civil civil uh, civil organization. So these are native in yes. native organizations yes. with yeah, the and culture. they are the best to decide yeah. how to improve learning in Indian schools. Mm. I have no clue, but mm. I listen to them, mm. and we talk about different methods and so on. Mm. And then I evaluate what they think is the best to do in their areas. Mm. Similarly, when I work on with organizations in Uganda, mm. uh, I don't come with my, you know, mm. we should do this and that. No, you learn what they think should be done. Mm. Uh, and you go out and you pilot and you test things. Mm. And, you know, there might be things that I might say, what if we had a role play here? Or what if we tried mm. engaging the mothers like this? Mm. And then we try out things, but it's not, I'm not the expert on mm. how to do uh, the right type of programs. The local people and the local organization mm. is what I work with. What I do Mm. is that I help evaluate those programs. Mm. And similarly, uh, when we find impacts of programs and so on, mm. we help these civil organizations to spread the, uh, the result that this is an effective program. Mm. Uh, and we talk to the government, we tell them, so maybe there can be more funding towards these types of programs that works. Mm. Uh, but I'm not designing them, and I'm not the right person to say what should be done. Mm. The local people are the the ones who should uh, who knows what should be done in the best mm. way in these areas very interesting um on that note martina thank you for coming on the podcast thank you very much i love talking about it as you hear i hardly want to stop great and uh, you do have a website i looked it up so if you're interested in this paper um, you can also find it um, in the description of the podcast Next week, we will have Paolo Sudini on from the Swedish House of Finance. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned and uh, have a good week.